But, you know, if we all can come together as people and show empathy and care, that it's going to be better for all of us. And we can create a better world. Welcome to another episode of The Academy with John and Aiden. We are fired up to be here. Just to give you all some context, if this is the first time listening to us, we are two 25-year-olds who are exploring the most pressing issues of our time, everything from culture to social to technological to political. We're here to talk about it. We don't have all the answers. These are just our kind of a way for us to make sense of the world through conversation, through dialogue. We think this is the best way to learn about things, and we are using this as a platform to formulate our ideas, and you might even hear our opinions change in real time. Yeah, um, I think changing, having changed opinions in real time is something that's actually already happened, and it's been amazing. Um, By no means are we experts, although I like to think that we're both pretty sharp guys. Um, We are really just going to dive in on topics um, in just a freewheeling, open-ended discussion that hopefully results in people thinking about things a little more critically. Um, You know, hopefully it's a great opportunity for growth for us. And yeah, we're just going to get after it and just tackle some big issues from from all sides. And there's just, I don't think a better time to be doing it right now. Yeah, no, it's super fun to be discussing these things coming at it with kind of an open mind. And and, I mean, the underlying core of the Academy is really about, I mean, the Academy is based off um, the Academy from the Socrates and Plato era where they had a school of thought. They talked about kind of issues that were facing the time. And that's kind of where this idea came from, which is there was so much happening in the world. A text, a tweet, an Instagram post wasn't sufficient. Uh, So we found ourselves here recording and kind of talking about what we wanted to talk about. Um, So I think without further ado, it just makes sense to just jump into what's going on with the the continued protests around uh, racism in our country that's kind of been systematic. And I, I think maybe a good place to start, John, would be what does it mean to be racist in the first place? Yeah, AG, that's that's such a good question, um, and I think I think it's it's uh, that's a really really difficult question to answer. I think from my like point of view, you, I would consider somebody a racist if um, all things equal, they looked at people differently, right? And I, I kind of think that's the that's the underlying like idea behind racism is that if you know weren't based on the color of your skin or um, your your heritage that you wouldn't get an equal treatment say saying all all things else are equal right so like that's kind of like the idea I, I have about like overt racism like treating people mm-hmm. like overtly racist but then I think there's like this other like type of racism that is like maybe the intent is not racism, but it's the effect. And I think so uh, that'll be like the big question when we're talking about whether or not these people like are racist or not. Because I think like 
the first definition I gave, like not a ton of people like necessarily fall into that category. Yeah, there, a, a lot of people my, probably do. That was going like, to be my question is mm-hmm. like, do you think America is still fundamentally racist in that way? Whether it's kind of they think of black people differently or even in our policies, are they still fundamentally racist like they were, say, 50s or 60 years ago? I think the face of racism has definitely changed. I think for some people, they they do have that um, part of it where people are overtly racist. They should sure. look at black. But like you said, I think that's, that's the minority. And lately, um, I think it's less of a conscious racism than it is an unconscious racism. And I think like the key here is like, even so you think the the core problems, just to be clear, is yeah. that unconscious racism that's a little bit like the, the white supremacist stands out like a sore thumb, but that unconscious racism you think is a little bit more subliminal and that's what we're really fighting here? Yeah, but I, I want to clarify that a little bit because I think the even unconscious racism can be like active racism, right? So even if you're doing something unconsciously and in your mind, it's not like you're doing something because, oh, you know, this this person is black but it it is like an overt act that has a racist outcome so i don't know if that if that really makes sense but um it's i'm just kind of trying to like articulate the idea that you know people even without bad intentions necessarily can be racist and i kind of think i that's kind of what i think i don't know how you feel about that no i think i think it's interesting I think one of these ideas of the f- th- that there is things that aren't obvious that that people are being racist towards as simple as just like a, a gut thought reaction or walking to the other side of the street or maybe their friend group um, is not as diverse. Um, I think we tend to stay in our, in our circles. Um, and, and so, I mean, I, I'm just trying to focus on like the core problem that we are trying to address with these movements? Is it is it policy change? Is it um, kind of changing the unconscious mind? It's, it's kind of all these things, right? And, 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 that, and how do you... And, and how do you kind of get to this kind of message? How, how do we move from here when it's, when it's not obvious and we have to, like, beat away at it? You know what I'm, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I definitely it's, get what you're saying. It's I, kind of like a faceless enemy, like, like, like COVID, right. like you're seeing. And I think sometimes it's hard to know. Um, without hindsight, like what the right way to go about it is, especially in the moment. Um, because I think things can be a little, re- well, a little really confusing in the moment. Um, because whenever there's a political movement, regardless of the side that it's coming from, there's emotions involved, there's excitement. Um, and it's, I mean, it's hard to exactly know what, what the best way to to push these issues is. And yeah, I mean, like, when when it comes down to, like, the line of, like, calling someone a racist or labeling someone a racist. I kind of feel like, you know, we, 
I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard because well, you don't John, want to turn people I, off. But yeah. Can, can I, so I have a question, and I think this is something that you feel strongly about. If somebody doesn't post on social media proclaiming kind of Black Lives Matter and taking a stance, are they a racist? I mean, no. There's there's no one when it comes to doing or not doing any particular action. There's no one like criteria that that determines whether or not you are racist. But what I will say is that if um, you aren't doing anything, right, these problems have been presented pretty clearly. And if you're not doing anything, um, yet, like you have a social media account, and actively like post on it or are on it. I mean, I'm not saying like that makes you a racist necessarily, but like, it's a pretty good indicator that that there just seems to be a lack of like caring for for those issues or, or, or but, those people you know what i mean but, but i guess like why do you feel like social media is the great expression of that like why is if for example i haven't posted on mm-hmm. social media about kind of the black lives matter movement um and i haven't felt super compelled to but i've been thinking deeply about a lot of these issues I've been, I was at a march this past weekend for kind of the a youth march. And um, I've, I mean, I've donated to a lot of different campaigns, but I just feel like forcing people to post on social media or saying like the importance of that, like, like it's kind of, it's, it feels like it's like forcing political activism down people's throats. And like, why, like does, like, I guess like at what point do you draw the line that you have to care about this issue and that you can't care about other issues, and why is one issue more important than another issue? Um, you yeah, know? I, I mean, so everyone uses social media differently, and everyone's entitled to use it how they want. But the reality is that, at least in my view, social media is the medium by which we conduct much of our public discourse. And so, you know, if that's the case, and one of the main mediums through which you can express yourself, you are, you're just silent on. Um, it's just, that's just kind of, it, it just, it just kind of doesn't make sense because we, I mean, we know that social media is effective and how effective we could definitely argue about like whether or not um, these, you know, social media campaigns turn more people off than they, than they fire up. But I mean, we have right. seen in the past, like social media spark, um, huge movements. You can even argue that this movement was kind of sparked by social media and the sharing For sure. of the video of George Floyd on social media, or you can look at the Arab Spring, um, or yeah. or many other uh, kind of civil uprisings. But and, the Arab Spring ended yeah. up not leading, in a lot of ways, to kind of more progress, right? Like, yeah. I guess, like, do mm-hmm. do you feel like these movements sometimes create more? Uh, like radicalism and se- and kind of annex people who maybe aren't voicing the, using their voice and they feel more distant from the cause, feel more distant from people and they can't feel like they can come to the table and have a conversation. Yeah, I I do. I mean, you've got a point there. Um and I do feel like that's the case for some people. But I also feel there are a lot of cases where we've already come to the point in the conversation where these things shouldn't even be up for debate anymore. Um, yeah. and, and of course it's a free country and they always will be. And anyone can say whatever they want because we have a, a first amendment and we have, um, freedom of speech and people really, really stick strongly to those principles. But, you know, when does it get to a point where we just have to say, you know, enough is enough. Like, 
when does it get to when does it, when does it get to a point where we say like we've reached the stage in the argument where we're just going to have to move forward from here and i think when it comes to racism um and everything that's happening right now it just seems to me um that we've reached a point where we should be done with having that discussion um, i hear you i mean so what do, what do you say to people who like i guess if you're trying to win this election in the fall you're trying to get biden and do you feel like by saying you were like are we annexing people who are on the fence by saying who maybe were Trump supporters four years ago and saying because you're support Trump, you're a racist and that is that is that pushing them more to the side or do you or do you feel like those people sh- um, shouldn't even be in our camp? We shouldn't even talk to them. That's OK if we're pushing them aside. They can vote for Trump. Yeah. So I almost feel more the latter. And I, I can tell kind of just by the way you're posing the question that that you lean more toward the uh toward toward the first one what what's what's uh what's your what's your mindset there well i I think that there's a lot of people who have been seeing these protests who maybe are more in the middle they're they maybe are left some years they're right some years maybe they voted for trump maybe they voted um for for hillary and they some, maybe they see the violence and the protests and the messaging coming from the left, and I think it's having a hard time relate for them. Um, with that said, these people often really don't like Trump. They don't stand by him. But I think that the way that the radical left is coming off to them feels a little bit off-putting from where mm-hmm. they stand. And I think there's a lot of people probably in the middle who are maybe in the ages 35 to 55 um, – that are having a difficult time engaging in the dialogue because the dialogue feels so yeah. shifted um, that you, you can't even have a yeah. conversation. Um, like, and that's just like the eternal struggle right there. It's like, how much do you pull versus how much do you just open your arms, right? And I think sometimes there needs to be that pull. And you're gonna, we're going to have to fact check this. But you know, I know I've, I've seen many polls this week that have shown... Black Lives Matter, like the approval for that organization and the cause, like skyrocketing in like the last in the last for few sure. weeks. And I think a for lot sure. of that is because people have been doing a lot of the tough work, whether it's been getting out in the streets, whether it's been filming these protests, whether it's been, you know, flooding the social media airwaves with information. And I, you know, I think that all makes like a pretty big difference. And I mean, I don't know. I, I don't feel like we're at the point yet, though, Aiden, where we can stop pulling like I think we can we should save the open arms for later but until we've made even started to make uh, a fundamental change that we need to we need to keep pulling because it's not just like we're we're we have to be what do you mean pulling like you mean bringing people who are kind of on the fence trying to like yank them over to the to the kind of the side of where yeah. you're hearing the voice. When, when I talk from. about pulling, I, I kind of mean like the national narrative and the national consciousness, you know, um, just like we need to pull people to make them understand how unfair the system treats black Americans, um, how often black, black yeah. people are killed and, and understand um, what racism is. Like we have to keep pulling, we have to keep pulling people on that. And, I think calling out people when, when they're not doing enough, because I do think like, you know, maybe it's bad to say, but I think like social, sh- like shaming kind of does work a little bit. I mean, 
maybe it does turn off people, but maybe it plants a seed to, maybe it plants a seed for people to at least like marinate on feeling really offended by being called a racist and then think about it and then maybe decide that they, that they want to make change. Maybe not, but, but I don't, I don't know. No, I mean, I mean, I think you're right, John. I mean, we, we talked about the Drew Brees example, right? About how he said that his uh, grandfather, his father served in the military and he would never kneel for the flag. And he was kind of socially castrated for having that opinion. But then after kind of social media blew up on him, he changed his mind and became more open to the cause and came out with an apology. So I think that's exactly kind of what you're saying in, in, in real time of that if you, you can create this kind of social castrating to, to flip people over um, that, that can be productive. Yeah, that's the, that's the case I'm making. And obviously I, I could be biased by the kind of revolutionary spirit I, I, I've been feeling right now. I just want to share with the viewers, I have been going to these protests and I have been involved and I have been leading um, activism campaigns to, to help uh, try and change some of the colonial legacy that we have here in Colorado and what's represented on our government buildings. So I do want to be clear about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that a lot of times like the hard, scary work, um, looks really aggressive and intimidating, but with hindsight, um, it's, it's seen as it's, it's seen as the thing that needed to happen. Um, and you know, I mean, we could go, we could go on and on about this, but I know that there's more that we wanted to talk about today. So yeah. Do you want to, you want to switch gears? Yeah. Um, I think the next thing that me and Aiden wanted to cover is, I mean, the other thing that's just kind of overlaid the whole, um, narrative going on in the country right now in the world is obviously COVID-19. And I feel like we really haven't talked about that that much so far. Um, so yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's interesting because it feels like there was so much kind of the hypocrisy of the situation of being told to stay indoors for months and months and months. Right. And then all of a sudden the streets are flooded with people. Um, protests are happening. Like there's social activism, like we've never seen it in America in the last few decades. And then it's because of so much going on, the government's hands was like almost forced to kind of reopen the economy quicker and get people back into jobs, get people back working again so that they could kind of get things back to normal so it's not this crazy state of mayhem. And so now we might, the, the second wave that people have been talking about coming in the fall, we're still in the first wave and we're seeing kind of a resurgence of cases happening in Arizona mm-hmm. and Florida and all these red states that have, have been lackadaisical and now are kind of reopening too soon just to try to jumpstart yeah. things again. Yeah, I mean... It's it's crazy. Like how we handle this going forward is going to be crazy. Um, it has been weird for me to see like so many people just so um, confidently going out into the streets to protest on these on these things. Um, but like that almost is a testament to like how dire the situation is. I know we kind of wanted to stay on on COVID, so I don't want to like go off on a tangent here. But um, but it has just been really interesting to see this to see this all play out. I don't know. I, 
And we do, we don't know if COVID's spreading at these at these marches and these in these. Uh, yeah, not yet. not yet. So, not yet. It'll be interesting to see like how much the the fact that it's outside and most of these protesters are wearing masks. You know, like how much right. that's going to help. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. One interesting thing that I saw um, today because I've I'm a big NBA fan and Aiden we we both love to play basketball. We play basketball all the time in college. And I've been really just hankering to see LeBron James come back and dominate the NBA like he always does. But there's been a little bit of uh, controversy around the, the restart that's supposed to happen in Orlando. And now you've got a few NBA players who are saying like, oh, we need to take advantage of this moment and not let it go to waste so we shouldn't, we shouldn't play our season. Uh, have you heard that, AG? Yeah, I've been seeing this. One dialogue I saw is that you see kind of some of these very affluent, successful players. I think it was Dwight Howard come out and say, like, to support the mission and the cause, uh, we want to kind of show up against these kind of white billionaires who are the owners of a lot of these sports teams and not play the season in kind of stance with what's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement. But then you saw some kind of of the more less affluent, less well-paid players who are more on the periphery, the, the role players, if you will, who are saying, well, hey, like I need the paycheck. I have a lot of mouths to feed when I came up through this kind of NBA and not having a season um, is tough for people that they help and support in their families. And and then I think just the last thing that I'll say about this is that I think a lot of people are looking to LeBron as the leader. And I think it's kind of LeBron's opportunity. It's, it's LeBron's very much the face of the league. And ultimately what LeBron decides to do if he thinks that people should move forward, I think the league will move forward. And if he doesn't, I think it won't. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my feeling too. Um, it's it's funny though, because I get the feeling that he wants to play because time is ticking for him. For, you know, for so sure. there may be some there may be some self motivation there, but that'll that'll be interesting to see because he's typically been such an outspoken person on social issues, particularly on this, that you would kind of think that this might be his opportunity to have his Ali moment, right, and be like a big leader of our generation's civil rights movement. It's beyond basketball. So, but, but, like, I, w- I want my championships, right. but, you know, this movement is something bigger than a ring. Yeah, and it's almost like an interesting social experiment, too, just on, you know, because, you know, he's he has self-interest, obviously, in playing because he wants to win and I presume get paid. I guess the money probably doesn't mean that much to him at this point. But, like, for him, how much would he value his legacy of winning another championship, right? That kind of selfish legacy over something more altruistic and, and being like a leader on this. Um, and I think a lot of people are kind of facing those own circumstances like in their lives, like with how much they either get involved with the, the, the protests or um, what the decisions they make regarding like COVID-19 and their family safety versus their own individual prosperity, right? So it's funny, like we're kind of seeing this play out all over the country, but LeBron's a bit of a microcosm for it. So, right, I think it's definitely amplified to to see his story. But I think you can do both on the on the like in, in, they're not mutually exclusive. Like I think he can play in the NBA and take a very strong stance on the Black Lives Matter movement and kind of speak truth to power. Yeah, you know, I I think there are ways to do both, and 
they might be different than what people are saying by not playing or don't playing, uh, or not playing or playing, excuse me. But, I mean, they could form uh, an NBA committee um, that leads, like, diversity. They could try to change up the owners. They could, I mean, there's a lot of different things that they could do um, that might not seem as straightforward as not playing that could also make a very big difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, all, I think that's all right. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll just see on that. I mean, I'm just tired of being bored, honestly. So <laughs> for sure. Yeah. You, you wonder, I mean, one thing that I've been thinking a lot about um, th- throughout all this is how this is changing people's personal lives um like do you th- like with people our age who are like 25 do you think it's changing their view on oh i want to go move to another city i want to uh go back to school i want to get more involved in activism work i'm curious the the effects that this type of social covid is having on kind of young professionals and the way they think about their whole yeah, lives yeah it's it's such a interesting thing to think about because I I feel like whether it's COVID or um, these civil rights protests, like I I feel like people are almost thinking more collectively um, than we were a couple months ago because we we're kind of seeing the how important that is. Um, Right. So like I, I almost feel like people are having like a moment where they're you know, putting putting some of their like selfish or like self interests on on hold for the greater good, and that's kind of like the net effect that I feel like this whole thing's having on people. But you know, what's interesting is like I, I I'm not sure if you've had any friends who've lost their jobs mm-hmm. during this, um, but it's in the backdrop of like so much economic uncertainty, uh, very unstable job market that people are even thinking beyond just themselves. And you know what's, there's this, uh, I, I forget the exact terminology for it, but in, in war times, um, that when 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 London was being bombed um, and everything was going kind of wrong, um, people never felt more united, kind of happier, connected, a common cause than they did when London was being bombed. And there's like been a lot of psychological studies that have kind of looked at this that have showed that under like insane pressure where you think people would fold, only care about themselves, um, et cetera, et cetera, that people came together in ways that they never expected. Wow. And that's, I think that's uh, brings parallels to our kind of our, yeah, our times that for sure. When we're facing these existential threats that you think sometimes would cause people to kind of, you know, I mean, buy guns, like look out for like only themselves, you kind of have this like we're all one kind of perspective that I think. Yeah. So why why do you think that is? What what do you think is the is the reason for that? Do you have any hypotheses? Well, I I I think you start to realize that. Uh, my survival is connected to all of mm-hmm. our survivals. And when you start to realize that when London's being bombed, I have a better chance for my own family and my, my children and my, my grandchildren to live a better life if we all come together and preserve 
London, England and fight right. the war. And so I think there's something that's like kind of parallel to the Black Lives Matter movement where I might have lost my job, I might be down on my luck, but you know, if we all can come together as people and show empathy and care, that it's going to be better for yeah. all of us. And it, we can create a better world. But if we're all just looking out for ourselves, then it's going to be a lot harder for, for us. You know, it's like one plus one um, e- equals like three. It doesn't equal two. And I think that's just like we're greater than the sum of our parts. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting take. I, I feel like it also has to do with just when you're, when you're in a huge moment, right? Wh- whether it's the bombing of London where you're having near-death experiences or there's this like national catharsis going on right now around like civil rights, or you're facing potentially a a deadly virus every single day. Like you almost realize how small you are within the whole scheme of things, right? And it's almost like this realization, I think, that wow, like my individual wants and desires, like like without the without the greater good moving forward, it's kind of meaningless. so I feel like I feel like that may be part of it too. Like that may be the psychological you know, piece. And you know what's interesting on that, John, is like uh, America is a country. Like you looked at how these you look at how these different countries reacted mm. to COVID, um, very differently. Um, if you look to Good the point. east, like uh, South Korea and and China, they're very homogeneous and they take a very uh, kind of collective approach to to government, looking out for the people. And then you look at a country like uh, America, very diverse, very homo- uh, heterogeneous, and v- very much valuing kind of the individual and the freedom as opposed to the collective like you see in Asia. And so in some ways, this was like a slap in the face of like, yeah, you can kind of have this freedom, but then you have the backdrop of kind of all like um, – what's going on with George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. And you're seeing, I think, a lot of people at these protests who are, who are white who are, who are showing up and, and are protesting. And so this this kind of like coming togetherness that we're seeing is is almost like it's like the people's form of a collective mindset as yeah. opposed to like the authoritarian's form of a collective mindset that you might see in like a country like China or, or uh, South Korea. Right, right. And, and that's, that's really interesting. And it got me just thinking about like looking at countries almost like individual organisms, right? And, and, and how the organism, sure. and how the organism survives. And I feel like there's always this kind of push and pull about how connected the systems need to be. Like they each have, need to have their, you know, distinct functions but i think what's what is happening in america because you're right like we're very heterogeneous um we have we're ethnically diverse we're religiously like fairly diverse um i think what we are starting to see is a coalescence around some kind of value set like the organism's looking to to coalesce itself around a heartbeat right and it's like, what do we want that? What do we want that heartbeat to be? What do we want those universal values that we all subscribe to to be? Because I think, you know, I think, right, it's like there's there's going to be a push and pull between individual liberties and like collective thought. But I think there does have to be some like set of values that just hu- all humans like subscribe to um, in order for governments to work and be, you know, be good to the people. Yeah, and and one thing like 
the left is really pioneering a lot of these collective mindsets, mm-hmm. you know, like human rights for all, um, kind of th- their views on a lot of these social issues, cl- climate change. I mean, these are global humanitarian. I mean, they're really into kind of global aid, right? Um, and you just wonder how it all comes together in a way that can help us move to that goal that we want. Because I think that's where you see a lot of the disconnect between the right and the left. It's the left are proclaiming these big ideas and they're very voiceful about it. And I think I genuinely believe that uh, members of the right do want this, but they go about it in a very different way. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, anti-abortion, anti-LGBTQ, I mean, that, that stuff has no place in this world. And I think there's a lot of things that, that need to die out. But I think the more moderate right is, is, is in line with what the left is standing for. And they're just trying to figure out a path forward to get there. And I think the more that we can come together and figure out ways to understand that we're all on the same team and we're trying to move to the same thing of this collective kind of thing. And like you said, we're an organism trying to grow and evolve. Yeah. We're just going to create a better kind of USA. Yeah, for and you know, I th- I think though, from what what I my perspective of it is that, first of all, I don't I'm not even so sure there's that many moderate Republicans out there. Maybe there are, but I feel like if you might not even affiliate with the Republican Party at this point if you were actually a moderate Republican in the past. But you know, I digress on that. But I do think like what what I think is more accurate is like there's. A portion of the country um, who is who's trying to stick to the old values, who's trying to keep the the old set of values, and yes. I think that's that's kind of what like the, yep. the we're having we're having this really difficult fight, and it's it's kind of it really is like you've heard politicians say it, but I think it's kind of true. It's for the spirit of the country. It's like what values do we want to align ourselves around? And in my opinion, like and this is just my opinion, but what Republicans and people to the right of this country have done have kind of created a value set um, that's modeled after like classic white values. Right. It's not and, inclusive. Yeah. And right? that's, um, it, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think um, it, it's not inclusive. It's not new age. And I think we need to adjust. But I, I think one thing that I always think about when I, when, because I, I totally agree that what the Generally, what the, the the left is pushing is the right set of values to look out for the indigenous people, to create more equal opportunity, to less kind of militarization, less on oil, and more in, in education and infrastructure development, and kind of using our success um, economically and in, in using taxes mm-hmm. to help grow and give back to our country. Um, but I think what often I um, hang my hat on is kind of that the the left doesn't know um, how to truly build things um, and where to tr- uh, derive value. And I think at a, at a certain point, you need to be able to, like, like how do we get there? And I, and I think a lot about um, what, what, what worries me or keeps me up at night is that we, we move so far left, um, we kind of stifle innovation, uh, we invest heavily in these infrastructure, social projects, and they don't work. Mm-hmm. And a country like China, 
who is very good at kind of um, collectively pushing their economy forward and, and bringing like hundreds of millions of people out of poverty in a relatively short amount of time um, surpasses us for the global leader. And you don't have a leader that stands for kind of um, free speech, um, democracy, and some of the values that we do hold so dear. And if I think if we aren't careful um, in kind of ensuring that we're at the front lines of innovation and prosperity, um, then we'll we'll lose that seat. Yeah. And it, but I do think though, like ideas like the Green New Deal and these big are the way to go. We just got to make sure that we do them right and we we empower people in the right way and we don't kind of yeah. hurt ourselves. I, I get that concern. I get that concern and I, I really do. But my, my question to you would be uh, whether or not you think innovation and, and uh, growth um, is, is being stifled right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. Yeah. I, I don't think we're innovating. I, I think my honest opinion is I think we're at 5% of what we're capable of so, doing. Yeah, I mean, but I if mean, you think that's I the th case, like, don't you think it's like we need to do something big to kind of shake off the training wheel or shake off the shackles or uh, that's bad. But like, doesn't doesn't it seem totally. like there know, needs know, to be something pretty pretty drastic in order to get to from that 5% that you're talking about to, to 100%? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I, I think calculated uh, drastic measures yeah. need to be taken in a very thoughtful and strategic way. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I, I don't think just saying something needs to change, let's uh, tear down the whole system and let's figure it out. That's kind of what Trump did, right? I mean, that, he, that's kind of what he, what he, like that was kind of his calling card a little bit where he was like, I'm going to change the system. Totally. But there weren't any real experts to, to do the legwork that, that he kind of envisioned, right? And, and I think that's what scares me is that you have all these big ideas and, and things that I think are great and that we should – but the, the execution of kind of following through on doing them. And I just remember being in Ireland um, and seeing a poster for Ireland 2044 about a clean energy initiative that they plan to like make 100 percent of their cars like electric or something like that and all these green initiatives. And I think this is in line with the Green New Deal. But like how can we create like like – change our economy to be green um, in the most efficient and productive way that empowers our citizens, empowers innovation, empowers technology, brings people up through diversity, um, and, and re-engineers our workforce in a way that's kind of never been done in modern times. Yeah, those are, those are going to be the big things that, that we work on. Um, and when it, yeah, when it comes to that stuff, I'm just kind of like, in the in the mindset of well yeah like but that's that's like kind of obvious like we're gonna need to do some serious legwork we're gonna have to have some serious expertise we're gonna have to think through how we enact change um really seriously but you know i'm, I'm also still like just over here sitting like thinking like well we still need to hash out like the value set first right before we are able to move forward yeah no, I think I think you're right. So, I mean, when you, when you think about those values, I mean, do you feel like those values are are clear to you? Do you feel like we're kind of writing them in real yeah, time? Yeah, I mean, I think there is like a coalescence around just kind of like humanist values, right? And I think that's a lot of what you're seeing on the yeah. left. Um, I think there's always a risk of getting dogmatic on a handful of issues. And obviously, like progressive ideas are not immune to that. 
um, because there have been progressive ideas in the past that have started with good intentions and, um, you know, have been, have been demagogued into being something different than their original spirit. So, I mean, yeah, it's going to be a struggle moving forward. And I mean, I do share your concern in the sense that the rhetoric is so hot right now. Like there's a lot of, I think, um, space for people to be kind of radicalized. Um, so I do worry about that maybe a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, I do agree, though, that the more we can invest um, in our in our people through social programs, through kind of uh, strategic taxation and, and, and reinvestment, the, the better world that we can create. And, and I fundamentally agree with you, John, that things need to be stirred up and things need to change. I, I, I think we just need to do it um, very thoughtfully and strategically. It's not like you quit your job and you uh, maybe you book one way flight across the world. People do that. Um, but if, if you're if you're dramatically, if someone's dramatically switching up their life, you hope they have a plan and a solid path forward. Right. You know, and that's how I feel about. It's not just fuck the system. Let's change things up. It's fuck the system. Here's what we're right. going to do about right. it. Yeah, preach. I, I I feel you on that. But I mean, if anyone can't tell, Aiden just uh, he he's great because he he moderates some of my just progressive, uh, idealistic tendencies. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why I love you, AG. But I mean, we're, we're, uh, we're, we've made it through a pretty long and deep conversation. We've definitely strayed at a few points, but I, I think overall, like we covered a lot of the bases that we wanted to cover today. Um, I mean, there's always just so much to talk about that I feel like it's never, it's never quite enough and we're never going quite as deep as we want. But you know, we're working on it. Yeah, we, we definitely touched on a lot of topics, but I think it's tough because you can go really deep into some of these things and then they're all kind of interconnected. You know, it all kind of comes back to like, what do we stand for? What are our kind of core values? Um, no matter what issue issue that you touch on, it all kind of comes back to this kind of bigger picture about our yeah. future. And so it, it was really it was really fun t- talking about it and kind of getting fired up through conversation and kind of thinking about what needs to be done in the next uh, few years and what we should be thinking about. Yeah, definitely. Maybe maybe uh, a couple episodes down the road or next episode we could talk about you know what though we could really hash out some of those values like in more in more depth um, and just like maybe even like talk about like what would be a framework for a new like form of government or, or, or something like that. I mean, we'll, we're going to get creative. Um, we're going to keep talking about these huge issues. We just felt like we couldn't ignore everything that's going on in the news right now. We have to give uh, lip service to that. Um, but yeah, AG, I'm, you know, completely, completely on board. As long as these conversations keep happening, as long as, people are inspired to think about things a little bit deeper um, Then I have optimism. Amen, brother. All right, dude. All right. I'll see you next time. Thanks. For th- th- yeah, this was sounds fun. good, AG. Cheers. And don't forget to join us next week for the next episode of Blue